And I was uh, looking through my sermon notes this morning, and I realized something, no joke. Uh, there wasn't a single joke that I prepared, because it was quite serious. So I just want to forewarn you that this is going to be really serious. Okay, Today we round up um, number three of our three sermons on the whole life inventory that we did in February this year. And uh, the, the inventory or the survey looked at five areas about faith, about identity, about relationships, about sexuality, and uh, values. Actually, six areas if you include the demographics of uh, this church. So if our whole life is like that, as is revealed in the three sermons um, presenting the survey, whole life like that, is it okay? Is it acceptable? Is it good? Is it bad? So let's jump into the last of uh, our presentations on this survey. Are you being discipled in church now? Was a question that was asked. So let's look at the percentages. We compare it with global as in other churches. Uh, let's, so, let's not make a judgment for now. Look at this. Are you being discipled in church? 49% of PPH says that we are, compared to 47%. And uh, 23% of us, about a quarter says, I'm not being discipled, but I would like to be, compared to 38 and the last one, no, I'm not being discipled in church now, and I would not like to be discipled in church now. 28% compared to 15%. And then there is a, a portion on individual needs. Uh, I present the top two or three. So relationships, uh, I have a need for church support in these areas. Relationship and communication skills, PPH 31 versus Global 47, we are low. How to relate to and care for parents, PPH is 30, compared to 33, we are low. Balancing family and work commitments, PPH is 29, and global is 43, we are low again. And then, I don't need support in any area, PPH high, 30%, and global is 19%. Marriage needs, and I present the top two, marriage mentoring by a more mature couple, PPH, 17% of us says, I would like to have an older couple mentor me compared to 32. Conflict resolution or couple mediation, 16% in PPH, 27 global. And then the last one, I don't need church support in any area of marriage, 50% of us compared to 36. Next one, parenting needs. Discipline and boundaries. I need some help in discipline and boundaries. 29% PPH, 39% global. I need help in helping my child handle stress and emotions, 23% in PPH and 36% global. I don't need church support in any area of parenting, 43% of PPH, but 22% in global. Habitual issues, the top two, internet gaming or internet or gaming addiction, 12% PPH, higher than global. Overspending, okay, very low already, yeah, 7%. Versus 14% global. Even though we are rich, we are not overspending. So that's good. I'm not facing any issue of habit. 74% PPH versus 68%. Okay, how to interpret this data? Well, by and large, we have uh, less needs, right? 
uh, let's go through one by one again, okay? Are you being discipled in church now? So, about half, yes. About half, no. Half of that half want to be. Half of that half that says no, don't want to be. And if we are well discipled in church, then a very good indicator would be spiritual disciplines like uh, Bible reading, like prayer, like service. And indeed, in all those three areas, we, we, our numbers are better than other churches. But I think uh, a more accurate assessment would be in reference to uh, actually our purpose statement, which is made up of two things. The, the greatest commandment, that is, as disciples, how are we loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind? And how are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? It's very hard to make assessments of those. It can only be anecdotal or sort of you take a good look like that. Okay? The other area would be the Great Commission. Make as disciples, make disciples. Be a disciple, make disciples. And a disciple will display the fruit of the Spirit. So when it comes to measuring spiritual fruit, again, it's very hard. How are you going to measure? Are you loving, love, uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you measure all those things? But at least in one area we can measure, as in almost physical fruit in, in evangelism, uh, people we bring to the faith, and in that area we know that we are not doing so well. And yet, 28% versus 15%, or nearly double the, the global average, 28% of PPH is not being discipled, and still would not like to be discipled. You know, in our last round of mentor and mentee pairing, remember a few months ago, we asked for some of you to be mentors, and then we want to pair up with the young adults to be mentees. We had leftover mentors. Leftover. Because we have more mentors than mentees. Okay. Individual needs. Let's look at it again. We are a less needy church because in every category, we have less needs. And then 30% of us says that we don't need support in anything, any of these needs. In marriage needs, 50% of PPH says we don't need church support in our marriages compared to 36% of other churches. It's very significantly different. But you know that, and I presented it over the last two Sundays, 33% of men and 40% of PPH women. Okay, one-third of PPH men and 40% of PPH women are not happy in their marriages. And yet, 50% of us says that we don't need any help. So there is some disconnect. But I have to say that our 33% of men and 40% of women is better than other churches. So we are not good, but still we are better. Parenting needs. Well, it is true also that in the overall data, um, our parent-child relationship is better, a little bit better than other churches. But I'm not sure that we are 43-25 better, as in 43% of us don't need church support in any area of parenting versus 43% of, of other churches. There were 13 areas mentioned in this uh, survey, first-time parenting to preschool to primary school, national service, sex education, uh, stress with the children and all that. In only one area 
every area, 12 areas, we have lower needs than other churches. Only one area, and it's uh, under the title Child Learning and Developmental Disabilities. So I think these are very, very special needs. Okay, we look at habitual issues. And I looked at the details. Again, in every life stage, more of PPH than in other churches say, I'm not facing any issue of habit. Life stage means uh, age groups, from youth to seniors. Every single group, we say, we are not facing any issue of, uh, of habit. And yet, we have 18% in PPH who are pornography addicts. Like I say, right? More than once a week, I would categorize as being an addict. So we have 18%, and then we have 74% say no issue. Okay, we can also interpret this data very, very positively that PPH is very, very different from other churches and our 249 respondents in the survey are very, very different from the 7,209 other respondents in other churches because we don't need to be discipled. We have less needs. We don't need support individually. We don't need support in marriage. We don't need support in parenting. We don't need support in habitual issues. Don't need. So maybe we can retrench some pastoral stuff. Since we are doing so well. Actually, there is a more scary interpretation. And that is, what's the point of telling you my needs? The church cannot help anyway. So I myself say I have no needs. But this one parameter to me is very, very disconcerting. That 28% of us are not being discipled in church now and would not like to be. Now, I have looked at this from every angle. I think I stand on my head to look at this as well. Maybe we can take a few percentage points off, maybe 4 or 5% we can throw away, uh, because people may have misunderstood the question, or they don't quite know what being discipled means, and, and they just say, okay, no need. Because the question is not very well phrased, but even if we take the five, okay, let's say 10% off from our, um, from our 28%, we are still higher, and you can say significant higher, significantly higher than, than other churches. What I would call this, touch-me-nots. Like, don't bother me. I'm okay. I'm not being discipled. I would not want to be. And this are it's like, how do you do? And then you say, fine, thank you. I don't need no discipling. So I, I looked at the details. I broke it down. Uh, the data is available in, into every live stage from youth and single adults, dating engaged single adults, uh, 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 single young adults, now single adults, then married parents, seniors, and overall. I'm very glad that our youth have 0% uh, who says, I'm not being discipled and I would not like to be. They all like to be. I think about 70% of our youth are being discipled. The other 30% are not, but they would like to be. So, okay. Compared to 12% global, that's not bad. Single adults, between 8 and 9%, so roughly the same. But in all the other categories, we have a higher percentage of people who are not being discipled and yet would not like to be. At first, I thought it's like maybe we have older congregation. So among the older ones, like I'm 60 years old, 
why, why do I want to be a disciple? I should be discipling somebody. Maybe I thought that was the, the, the understanding, but when I look at the data, it doesn't show it. And then I say, okay, maybe it was confused by the Chinese congregation data. Maybe they didn't understand the question. Right? So I took out the Chinese congregation and the numbers became worse. So more of our English congregation not disciple and don't want to be disciple. Don't touch me. So maybe I'm just adopting a, a half-filled versus a half-full uh, uh, attitude because it is true that 45% of us read our Bibles daily and 59% uh, of us pray, pray daily. And then I begin to look further at that. And there was an, a very big international survey done a long time ago, okay, 1998, to be fair. 6,000 people were surveyed. And 64% says they pray daily. And 34% says they read the Bible daily. But when they dug down into the details, which we have not done here, the daily prayer time was four minutes on average. Four minutes. And then in that survey, in the international survey, they say, if you take away those crazy guys uh, who pray one hour a day, then that average number really, really drops down. It, so if we say that we pray daily, it could be, thank you God for this food three times a day. And then we say we pray daily. You know? So it's like what Elder Edwin Chua say, ka ka mai mai, you know? You add up all these little bits and pieces. They say, yeah, I pray daily. Therefore, 59% of PPH prays daily. Well, an important element of discipleship is the church body, the, the community. Uh, I, and I mean the, the care group, where iron sharpens iron, where we journey in life together, we comfort one another, and we challenge one another in this, this life of faith. Of the 249 of us who took this survey, we find that 79% of us meet in a care group more than twice a month. That's not bad. Compared to 83% in other churches, lower, but not so bad. And then we did a name-by-name -name count. Okay? Now, I don't have a camera. I really wanted to have a camera here so I can scan, do facial recognition, and then I can see who's in church or not. We did a name-by-name -name count and found that it's not 79%, who are in cell groups is 66% who are in cell groups, okay? Two-thirds. And so we have 34% who are, for one reason or another, I know some of you cannot make it, but 34%, one-third of us are not like living life together or doing Christian life together in a, in a cell group, challenging, comforting one another. So the question is, why like that? Why like that? May I suggest that PPH might have an issue of lordship? Lordship means that the Lord Jesus is not just my loving saviour, but my Lord and master, whom I will submit to, whom I will obey, no matter what. Lordship means I will take up my cross and follow him, pursuing holiness and righteousness, no matter what. Why do I say we have a problem with lordship? I believe the, the biblical teaching on fornication or sex before marriage is quite clear. But 
70, uh, some 7% of us are not sure. So we have 62% strongly agree, not acceptable to have sex before marriage. 24% str uh, sorry, strong, strongly disagree, so that's like 80, 86%. But there's this grey 7% who is not sure. And 6% six, six simply say, I strongly agree or agree that it is okay to have sex before marriage. I will not obey, is how I interpret the data. I will not. The Bible teaches us to flee from sexual temptation or sexual immorality and not even to have a hint of it. 18% of us don't view, uh, don't have a view on, on this, say neutral or not sure, that going overseas with a boyfriend or girlfriend, knowing full well the temptations, we say, not sure, maybe. Or worse, 26% say we will go. 4% says we definitely will go. Not fleeing from sexual temptation, but flying in the face of biblical warnings. Fulfilling sexual desires that are against God's will. 12% of us are not sure about obeying God's will. And the usual 5% who want to totally disobey. Money over calling. I would pursue a profitable career even if it is not my calling. 29% of us are not sure. And 10% of us says we will. We will. Children's exams. During my children's exams, I'm okay if they skip church. 14% of us are not sure. And 9% of us is okay, lah, skip church. Well, you know, some of, us, some of us may think that this is a very minor gray area, but may I differ? I believe that taking that four hours, okay, assuming you take two hours to travel to and fro, okay, and then two hours of uh, Sunday service to worship God on a Sunday, to me, is simply obedience, lordship. But it is an obedience that will, rewarded, that will be rewarded with, with spiritual rest, with mental rest even, with blessings. And the blessing of setting an example for your children and your children's children, the following generation. So, lordship, go back to basics. Okay, could it be defective technology from this pulpit? Could be. Have you heard anyone say that I've been a Christian for many years and Christ has been my saviour, but he's never been Lord of my life? That I have accepted Christ and I've made a decision for Christ. I have said the sinner's prayer, but I never really considered obeying him. I've never really considered what it means to take up my cross and to follow him. I've never really counted the cost of being a disciple. In other words, effortless Christianity. The kind that has Christ without the cross. Salvation without sanctification. Decisions without discipleship. We decide to accept Christ as our saviour, but we are not disciples of him as our master. We have a lordship issue. So, with a PPH, with a you and I, this is an old English word that, that continues to be popular. Whether this, like wither America, now that Trump is president, or, or wither Britain, now that uh, Brexit has, has occurred. So, wither PPH, where do we go from here? We have had an assessment of uh, the state of our church, 
and ourselves in this whole life inventory, how do we make sense of it? I was quite desperate, so I sent out an email to, uh, to my elders and to the pastors, and I say, I quote, help, triple exclamation mark. This trend is amazing. PPH people want less help from church in every single category compared to other churches. And for that group that wants no help, we are consistently higher. The touch me not. Any insights that can help my sermon this Sunday? Well, someone responded and said, actually what comes to mind is the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation, there are seven churches and then Jesus himself made an assessment of the seven churches. Revelation chapter 3 about the church in Laodicea says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then this person said, is it too harsh? So, I quickly went through all my old sermons. Nowadays, it's so easy. I just searched Laodicea. And just as I was doing that, ping, an email came to me on Wednesday morning as I was searching Laodicea uh, on my past sermon. And, and this email says, uh, below is a list from discussion and prayer sessions previously compiled way back in 2008. Maybe it can give you some insight. And it says that the key areas in PPH that needs breakthrough are wounds in our hearts, cynicism of the mind, surrender of our wills, crowdedness in our lives. And immediately I thought of Edwin Chua. So I sent him an email. I said, did it come from you? He checked also. He said, no. I don't know where it came from. But we prayed about this. And what did I find when I searched Laodicea? I found a sermon that I preached in January, January 11, if I'm not wrong, 2009, which talked about these same areas. Call it the coincidence, or call it the God incidence. And the 2009 sermon actually had nothing to do with Laodicea. It was just referring to Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, I stand at the door, I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It was just that quotation. But with that 2009 sermon, with these areas, maybe this morning is easy life for me. I just repeat old sermon. But I will never do that, okay? Otherwise, you will retrench me. So with the PPH, with the you and I, where do we go? Uh, a, a more local term is so how? So how? So I see a picture. It's not often that I like see visions or something like that, but I see a picture of a withered hand. And I'm reminded of this event in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 3. It says, again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and he watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him, how to destroy Jesus. So a withered hand, oh, sorry, a withered hand 
reminds me of that 2008 thing, a withered heart. What does that mean? A wounded heart. Withered means dried up. What does this man with the withered hand see in his church or in his synagogue in the days of Jesus? A bunch of unholy leaders who would rather talk about no healing policy on a Sabbath than about God's grace and God's healing and God's love and who would want to set up a trap for Jesus to see if He would heal on a Sabbath. And I wonder what the people in that church or in that synagogue would they be staring at a man with a physical blemish with a withered hand and who would be asking, who sinned? Did this man sin? Or did his parents sin that he would have a withered hand? Or they would simply just ignore him? So I believe this man had more than a withered hand. He had a wounded heart. Can I say that we too have a withered hand or a withered heart because of our wounds? King David had a wounded heart. In Psalm 109, verse 22, King David said, For I am poor and needy. I have needs. I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. You know, when you have a boss like Saul, who abuses you and even tries to spear you or stab you front and back, when you have a subordinate like Joab, your chief of defense forces, who sabotages you, when you have a son like Absalom, who is after your power and possessions, even after your wife, and you have a wife like Michal, who despises you, David's heart was withered and his soul was wounded. And it seems like David's life got a lot tougher after the blessing. After Prophet Samuel anointed him as the next king of Israel. Then his life got really tough. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Perhaps you have been wounded by gossipers, talebearers within PPH, and that's why many of us do not consider PPH a safe place to share our sexual issues. Or there is a wound in your marriage or relationship with your parents or children or fellow believers, making life somewhat of a living hell. And that it goes into the innermost parts of the belly, like stomach ulcers. The word wither in Greek is also found in this parable. In the following chapter from Mark 3, it's Mark 4. And you know this famous one. Jesus says, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. This parable refers to the condition of the soil of our heart. We read the Bible daily as 45% of us do, and we pray daily as 59% of us do, but God's Word does not take root in our hearts, and we are distracted by many things. Our lives are crowded by worries, and especially when we start comparing that, why is it so easy for so-and-so? He gets all the A's, and, and, I, I, and he doesn't even study half as hard as, as I do, and somebody's got a, a new car, I have difficulty servicing the load on my old car, and and somebody's always posting on his Facebook about 
overseas holidays and, and all that, I'm just concerned that I will be permanently placed on holiday via retrenchment. And these are the worries that create a hardness over our souls and, and our lives. It, either, it can either drive us to God or it can crowd God away from our lives. So wither our lives. It withers our lives. So, then don't talk to me about discipleship. Don't talk to me about spiritual maturity or maturing the faith. I can barely survive the day. And then Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, I'm here to save you from your withered heart. And very often, He uses the body, the church, to do so. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I know a group of us, are not us, a group of you, are going to Israel next month. And some time ago, uh, a group that came back from Israel told me, wow, the soil is so good, huh? you can just grow anything, you know. You just throw a seed there and it'll grow. The land is so, so rich. So why is it that two persons sitting here in this hall on a Sunday morning can react so differently to our worship service? Some will be complaining about the songs and this and worship leader too flashy or, or, or song difficult to sing and sermon so boring and, and then the other person, another person will be copying notes and will be so refreshed in, in the spirit. Same sermon, same worship service is the condition of the soil of our heart. Perhaps we have let cynicism sneak in. So I want to address a cynical mind Cynical is when two positives make a negative. When Jesus says, I will help you, when on my name you call, you say, yeah, right. Two positives, but the heart says, yeah, right. Cynic. A cynical mind is one with a deep-seated unbelief. Unbelief about the truth of God's word. Unbelief about what God can do in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. Unbelief about God's response in prayer. And someone call it the edgy spirituality of the jaded. You're just jaded. A cynical mind is distant, it is unengaged, it is critical, it is apathetic. The elder brother in the story of the prodigal son had a cynical mind. Huh? You think grace can transform this useless brother of mine? The prophet Jonah had a cynical mind. Uh, you think these Assyrians would repent and then become even beneficiary of God's grace? When you read or listen to verses like this, you know, the famous Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When you read Romans 8, 28, for, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You say, yeah, right. Then you have a cynical mind. And all of us, all of us, banan, we struggle with doubts and with uh, disappointments, even disappointments with God, but we must not allow it to degenerate into a cynicism of the mind. Someone in the Bible had a cynical mind, but he dealt with it beautifully. 
And I think this is a response that we can all make. Mark again, chapter 9, tells of a father who brought his son to Jesus. His son was possessed by a spirit which causes dumbness. He foams at the mouth, becomes rigid, convulses, and he throws himself in the fire or water, trying to kill himself, this son. And Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Did the father then say, who are you trying to kid, Jesus? I've lived with this son all my life. I've tried everything. But what did the father, how did the father respond in Mark chapter 9, verse 24? Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that contradictory? But that is a response from a heart that is not cynical. And God is happy with such a cry. Let us be warned in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That is a cynical mind. Instead of turning to God, we turn away from Him. Don't turn away from the living God. Turn to Him. Even tell God about your cynicism, about your unbelief. But help me, God, I don't believe. So we have a withered heart, a cynical mind, and lastly, a willful spirit. And I can see that some 5 to 6% in PPH, as in other churches, might fall into this category of a willful spirit. God says sex is for marriage only. We say, I don't think so. God says, let no vile things enter your hearts. We say, but it harms no one. God says, honour the Sabbath. We are too busy for that, God. God says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. We say, touch me not. So in other words, a metal teeth spirit. Tikia, metal teeth spirit. And I'll never, never, never forget this guy in PPH who has since left us many, many years ago. When he used to complain to me about, hey, PPH worship service is dead. La. Because you guys never raise your hands in worship. So he was like the lone guy who would raise his hands in worship in PPH. Then after he left us and he went to another church where he's like a bit more charismatic and everybody raises his hand in worship. See, these people are so fake, you know. They all raise their hands in worship. So when I go to that church, I don't raise my hands in worship. A willful spirit. Metal teeth. You know, you can understand when somebody who has not professed faith in Christ, you call him an, a non-believer, deliberately going against God's will. But when a Christian does that, it is the height of hypocrisy. We want a passport to heaven. That's all. And so here is this severe warning from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Jesus' work is meaningless. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. This is the warning. So what do we do? We want to comfort the withered heart. I know people have withered hearts, wounded we want to challenge the cynical mind not to turn away from God, not to be cynical, but turn towards God. And we want to confront that willful spirit. So let's come back to the man with the withered hand. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. So what would you do? Jesus says, stretch out your hand. What would you do? He say, touch me not. I'm okay. Hand? What's wrong with my hand? Or... You will stretch out your good hand. You will stretch out your good hand 
and place the withered hand behind you. See, my hand is good. And I hope that Jesus will respond. In fact, I hope he would not, like he did in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. You know, he looked around at them in anger and grieved at the hardness of heart, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Those who see my hand very good. Right? So what's it to be? Jesus touched me not. After all the data presented over the last three weeks, we still claim to have good hands. We can make it on our own. Thank you very much. It's okay. I'll just try harder. It's like this father who asks his son, son, are you trying your best? Have you done all that you can? And the son says, yes, daddy. I've done everything. I'm trying my best already. And then the daddy says, no, son, you have not tried your best. You have not asked me to help you. And I believe that is what the Lord is telling us as a result of this survey. Jesus is saying to us, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your withered hand. Don't show me your good hand. So the challenge is, confess that we have a withered hand, a withered heart, a cynical mind, a willful spirit. We have 66% of us in cell groups. Some 30, 34% of us are not. I know there are some who simply cannot, but I think a large number of this 30%, 34% can. Can we help one another, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, comfort another, serve one another, challenge one another, lead one another by the hand to walk this journey of faith? Can we at least hit the national average of 83% from 66%? We will be running another evangelism explosion course next year. Two weeks ago, I was at the Thanksgiving uh, gathering and testimony, and it was just so encouraging that these people who were humble enough to participate in that course found breakthroughs in their minds and in their cynical minds, might I say, about just talking about the gospel. They know how to start the conversation, they say, but now they also know how to end the conversation. Some of us are really tongue-tied when it comes to this, or, or we, we, we gush, and then we don't know how to stop, right? And we dare not ever ask, does all these things make sense? Would you like to pray to receive Christ? We dare not enter there. And those, so this course teaches us, can you resolve that? Say, next year, when, it is, when we announce we want to join that, I want to be discipled in that way. That's my weakness. I want to be discipled. On the 2nd of December, we have capping. We're going to knock on doors, give out, I think it's a special Christmas bread loaf and invite Teban Gardens residents. Would you join? If you've not been joining capping for many, many sessions now, would you come and join us and, and share that burden? It is a burden. Okay, bread is lighter than pomelos, but still, still we've got to carry the bread. Would you share that? Seniors among us. You know, how we define seniors? Is it 50 and above, and then I fall in. Uh. 60 and above, I still got 12 months. Seniors. Are we saying like, I've been there, I've done that. This is for the young. I'm going to take my life easy. I'm going to take life easy. Even spiritual life. Because I'm there already. Why do I need to be a disciple? You know, as I enter my last phase of life, of being in the 50s. I struggle with this too. I mean, I see my friends 
retired, taking holidays, posting pictures on Facebook, all the fantastic food they eat and all the fantastic places that they visit. So I took a few hours off about a month ago for a spiritual retreat, just a few hours. I cannot do seven days or one day kind. And as I was there, I was feeling a little bit of self-pity, like, like people having a good life and, and I'm working uh, still. So I went to this place, uh, Bethel Presbyterian Church. And I tell you, this is an amazing place. The, the land of this church is 100,000 square feet. And um, they had a primary school which is no longer in use. So there are plenty of uh, uh, classrooms for Sunday school and adult Bible classes and all that. And then they have this, by the side, this bungalow, 6,000 square feet bungalow, where the senior pastor used to live. But they have now converted it into a retreat center. So I went into the senior pastor's master bedroom with attached toilet. It's all free. I just went in and I spent a couple of hours there. I said, God, speak to me. And so I turned, opened my Bible, and my quiet time reading was just at this point, Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. When I read it, I really laughed out loud. I laughed loud. God gave me joy. It says, now you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. Seriously, I laughed out loud. I said, wow, God, you're so humorous. You have a sense of humor. But there is this real estate in my heart, this land in my heart, that maybe I've not yet surrendered to you. There is so much for PPH to possess. So much to move on in the faith. So seniors like me, how are we being discipled? We're not like going to ask a 99-year-old man to disciple us as somebody senior to senior, you know, that kind. But, and not the one-to-one navigator-style kind of discipleship, but as in peer mentoring, right? As, as actually a cell group, a cell group that we mentor one another. We help one another, we challenge one another in the faith. And for the younger ones here, we have leftover mentors. Okay? Get a mentor. And all of us, take up the cross. Take up the cross. Pre- be prepared to be ridiculed. Okay? I think some of us, when you join the EE course, you will be ridiculed. Ah, you're so old already, still going to join. Or, when you open your mouth to talk about your faith, you will be ridiculed. Ah, you so already still believe in this kind of thing. Do not conform to how the world is squeezing us about holidays and fantastic food and Michelin star and all that, all posted up on Facebook. Conform into his pattern. We choose our own pattern. The pattern of the Lord Jesus. We are his disciples. Ken? Don't be like that, lah. <laughs> Why so like that? Why like that? We should be like that. Disciple of Jesus Christ. Counted the cost already. Take up the cost. Follow. Okay. I asked for this closing song, which uh, some people don't know. Oops. So, uh, okay. Shu may not here. She's downstairs. Any musician here? Okay. Thanks, Simon. Okay. Seniors.
join me with this song. Can we turn on that slide? The second service cannot sing this song. Yeah. Come, let's stand. We've been seated a long time. raise your hands in worship before this will be a good song to do so okay just remember Jesus says stretch out your hand so you reach out to Jesus okay let's do that with humbleness of heart Stretch out your hand to Jesus. He's reaching out to you. So Father God, I want to pray for each one of us. God, that we are not the touch-me-nots. We are disciples. There's so much land to possess. So much of our heart to give to you. So much of your heart to give to us. So much more to this spiritual life that we have in you people to bless, people to encourage, people to love, to help us, Lord. For any one of us with a withered heart, it's like it's dry, there's spiritual darkness, reach out to Jesus. Pray. Pray with someone. Seek help. 
those with a cynical mind, don't turn away from the Lord. Ask Him, like the, this boy's father, I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. And for those with a willful spirit, repent. Repent. So Father God, let Your Word indwell us deeply that it might transform us that it might give refreshment to our minds our spirit encourage us Lord reveal yourself to us show yourself in my life in all the areas that I'm now committing to you move let me know that you're real let me know that you care and help me to care for someone as I look beyond myself and beyond my own worries and troubles use me to be that instrument of your love and grace and so fulfill the law of Christ thank you God we pray in Jesus name Amen.